Howdy, Tuzzilla Files, and welcome to another episode of Escaping the Cave. EscapingTheCave.com is the website. Fuck Twitter, no Facebook page. Today's Friday, March 20th of 2020. Normally, this is where I say, gosh, I hope you're having a good week. <laughs> is that even possible at this point? You know, I, it's been nine days since I put out a podcast. I've been in a really good flow, a little really good routine uh, with this podcast lately. I'm trying to put out more episodes, put out two or three a week. Just be a little more regular about it. And then I put out those two podcasts last week after the uh, Super Tuesday primaries. I did an episode on COVID-19 media. And I sort of put forth that um, the media coverage was reminding me of, a, of the hurricane coverage prior to landfall. This is going to be a Cat 5. You've got to hunker down and make sure you stay tuned to CNN. Keep up to date on the, the latest news in the storm track and all that stuff. It reminded me of that. And I said in that episode that this had better be a Cat 5 because if it's not, if this is just blown out of proportion and people get the idea that our media is jacking with us, with this virus, and it turns out to be nothing, well, then the, uh, the trust level in the media is going to go in the tank. Even more than it already is. I think uh, Congress and the, the news media have about the same approval ratings and trustworthiness. And that's valid. That still holds true. But I wish I had waited to put that episode out. <laughs> I really do. Because I got up the next day. I think I put it out on Wednesday. Yeah, the 11th. Nine days ago. And I got up the next day and I'm like, oh, oh boy. The stock market, everything else. This has been a lot like 9-11 in a lot of ways, except 9-11. It was more intense. I think 9-11, the day, September 11th, 2001, that Tuesday morning, was the most intense day, I think, collectively, that I have lived through in my long, getting-to-be-long life. However, this is starting to compare to it. It, it. it may already be there because this is ongoing. We get waves upon wave upon wave of this stuff every single day. There's something every day, multiple times a day. The stock market falling 3,000 points. People talking about a 20% unemployment rate. <laughs> Predictions that over a million people could require hospitalization, not be infected. That's not what I'm talking about here. One of the, one of the, the uh, statistical predictions, statistical assessments, estimations, possible outcome is over a million people are going to be could could be hospitalized other people are saying that over a million people could die from this pandemic and it's ongoing every single day over and over and over again i haven't watched the news since wednesday it's friday morning <laughs> i needed a break yesterday I, my my brain has been so scattered Last week, watching this stuff, it reminds me of there's a South Park episode that came out shortly after 9-11. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Where, uh, what's her name? Um, one of the kids' moms is just curled up on the couch watching CNN, watching everything that's happening, and she's a basket case. I think collectively a lot of the country is feeling a little bit like that cartoon this morning. It's incredibly, it's, it's incomparable. There is no precedent. There's no September 11th is the only one, and that lasted a day, maybe a week. But that, again, I'm going to repeat it, that event was one day. Everything else came 
off of that one specific day. All the consequences, all the developments were a result of one, two particular events. I guess you could call it three. The Pentagon, the Trade Center, and Shanksville. Everything else built off of that. This continues on and on, and it seems like it's getting more and more intense every day. And if you look at the landscape and you look out to the ocean, you look out at the sea, there's a big wave that's coming. That wave keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's coming right at us. None of us alive have lived through anything like this. And it's not even here yet. It's just starting. I haven't looked at the totals, I think, since Wednesday. But the last time I did a podcast, there were about 1,000 infections. That was nine days ago. I think now, the last time I looked was Wednesday, and we were over 7,000 infections at that point. Seven times the infection numbers being reported on Wednesday. As, or on uh, Wednesday, that was within a week. Seven times. Some of that's due. It's very little consolation, but a lot of that's due to because the the testing, the lack of testing to this point feels, I'm not saying it is, but it feels like criminal negligence, malpractice. How do we not know how many people are infected so we know what to expect? How is that possible in this country? We're not Cambodia. How is it South Korea can get this done? How is it Singapore can get this done? The United States of America can't? It occurred to me, oh man, probably at the last week, it felt like that the government didn't want widespread testing done because they did not want that number out there. It's a little tinfoil hatish. I'll own it. I don't think that's it. I think they were just caught unprepared. Simple, basic incompetence. But there's no excuse for that. We knew this was coming. This has been in the news since November. People have been warning that this could be a pandemic since November. It's May. Or March. I can't even keep my month straight, man. So November, December, January, February, March. It's been four months. They can ramp up testing like that in a week. Why wasn't it done months ago? Why are we not prepared for this? And to a large degree, it's impossible. Europe can't even keep up. This isn't a, anything to do. This has nothing to do with universal health care or Medicaid for all. Italy has single-payer health care. They have single-payer system over there. They cannot keep up with this either. This is a matter of beds, a matter of resources, a matter of ventilators, intensive care beds, hospital beds. They're being overwhelmed. The only way to handle this was to get a handle on it before it spread. We're about to pay the price for being a free society. The difference between us and, I guess, Singapore, maybe South Korea, China, difference between them and us, difference between them and Europe is that we are a free society. We have a culture of freedom. You cannot put people under martial law and have them go along with it. Have you noticed what's happened here in the last couple of weeks that they've incrementally put heavier and heavier and heavier restrictions on us because they can't just say you can't leave your house. 
He would never, ever put up with that. And a lot of us still won't. See the video of the kid this week? Kid down there in spring break. Well, if I get corona, I get corona. I ain't really all that worried. He's not the only one. It's really easy to point fingers at that kid. You know, millennial young kid, he's a piece of shit. It's really easy to do that. He is far from alone. There are entire swaths of this country who are getting really piss-poor information. They choose to get that information. I'm going to get into that as the podcast goes on. I've got some stuff that I'm going to drag out from last year that I'm going to replay for you. I have a lot more material here. I'm kind of touching. I'm kind of touching and going. I'm a little scatterbrained today. I apologize for that. And the reason that I'm bringing the the old stuff back is both because it applies to this, and it's worth a repeat at this point, but also because I want to sit down and I really want to get my thoughts together on this before I just start babbling incoherently for an hour. I don't think I can do that yet, but I also need to get something out. Anyway, there are entire swaths of this country, a good portion of it, who still, still refuse, refuse. It's a matter of choosing, and they refuse to believe what this is. They still think it's H1N1 or the bird flu. Despite everything, trillions of dollars in revenues lost I cannot even keep the news events of the last week straight in my head. Since we last talked, Todd Zillophile, all the major sports leagues have canceled their seasons. Major League Baseball was due to open up a week from yesterday. Next week, next Thursday, was to be opening day. They canceled spring training. First, they pushed opening day back two weeks. Now it's pushed back indefinitely, at least until it looks like June or July. Maybe the All-Star break now. Do you think, tinfoil conspiracist, do you think that they are throwing all of those revenues away just so they can participate in a conspiracy theory? Not just Major League Baseball, the NHL. The National Basketball Association has had several of its players test positive, including Kevin Durant. Tom Hanks has this shit. Other people, I can't even think of them all. The stock market has fallen 3,000 points in one day earlier this week. Another day at 2,000. I think multiple days at 2,000 points. It's under 20,000 now. I didn't even look at today. I don't know what happened on Thursday. I'm saying today. To me, in my head right now, it's still Thursday. It's the middle of the night. Very early on Friday morning. I didn't even look at Thursday. I don't know what happened yesterday. But do you think that's part of the conspiracy, too? Do you think they're all on board? Is everybody involved in this? I do not understand. It's fine that you don't want to listen to CNN. Maybe you don't want to listen to Fox or uh, MSNBC. It's fine. I understand that. I do. I understand you don't trust them. What about everybody else whose job it is to take care of the shareholders, whose self-interest is based on making money? Do you think that they all have not looked at this? Do you think that they all do not understand what's going on? Are they all stupid where their billions and billions, trillions of dollars in revenue are concerned? Do you think you're that much smarter than they are? Do you think that you possibly have a better grasp on this 
Mr. Current Events Man, do you think you have a better grasp on this than everybody else than they do? Or is it a matter, as I'll get into in this recycled episode, of choosing to believe something? Choosing to appeal to your social group, perhaps. Play the role of the skeptic, the cynic, the contrarian, perhaps. You're the conservative who just doesn't want to believe anything coming out of the big, bad, fake news media. Is that what it is? I don't know. But I do know that it is dangerous. Yeah, and this isn't about people getting coronavirus and dying from the disease. It's not all about that. It's going to be terrible if they're right. Just that. Sure, it's targeting a specific demographic. Elderly people who have underlying conditions. We all understand that. But that's not the point. And perhaps maybe that's what it is. Maybe you're missing the entire point here. Predictions in California, somebody said up to 58%. They're expecting up to 58% of the California population to be infected with COVID-19. For two weeks, I've been hearing between 40 and 70% of the entire population. Angela Merkel, prime minister in Germany, she said that she thought up to 60% of her population could be infected as well. It's been a pretty consistent theme, 40 to 70%. Andrew Cuomo Governor of New York, has uh, he sort of <laughs> percolated to the top here as sort of the, the, the Rudy Giuliani <laughs> of this crisis. I've said multiple times this week, God, I wish he was running for president. But he has repeatedly said, looking at the statistical numbers, this is very simple, not even middle school math. Looking at the, the totals from around the world, the percentage of people who are infected, who require hospitalization, between 15 and 17%. The virus is so contagious. It infects so many people. It's so communicable that the number is astronomically high when you multiply it by 15 to 17% of those people. The people that are going to require hospitalization is mind-boggling. <laughs> and then all you have to do is look at the availability of hospital beds. ICU beds in New York City. There's nowhere anywhere in the country that has anywhere near the capacity to handle this. The healthcare system is going to be suffocated. It's going to be drowned. It's going to be held underwater by all these people who are going to require hospitalization and treatment. Maybe they won't die. And maybe because there aren't enough beds, maybe they will now. That's the problem. And not only that, let's say you don't get sick, or maybe you do get sick and you're asymptomatic, but what if you have another health condition? Between now and the end of this, all of these people who are swamping the healthcare system, swamping the resources, taking doctors away, taking nurses away, the people who have other conditions not related to this are not going to be able to get the care they normally would. That's the problem. And I feel like we're standing on the shore, Myrtle Beach. We're down there in South Carolina looking out at the, looking out at the Atlantic. Oh, it's beautiful. Got the sun rising, but oh my God, what's that? That wave, you see that over there? It's coming really fast and it looks like it's getting a whole hell of a lot bigger. It's not quite here yet. Oh, my ankles are getting wet. It keeps getting bigger, bigger. 
and bigger. Cuomo's used that analogy, the wave. It's about to crash like a tsunami onto our health care system. And we're not going to be able to handle it. You can blame who you want to blame. You can point fingers all you want to point fingers. I'll probably join you. They should have been taken care of a long time ago. We should have had a pandemic team in place. They should not have ever, ever been disbanded. The tests should be in place. Again, it feels criminal. It feels criminally negligent. It feels like we have a governmental malpractice case on our hands. These tests should have been in place. They should have been being manufactured in January when we knew it was inevitable that this was going to come. It's criminal that we don't have the capacity to know how many people are even infected. I've heard this story. This general anecdote repeatedly this week, and this one comes from my own life. All right, My girlfriend works at a place, pretty good-sized company. She's got a co-worker, had all the symptoms of COVID-19. We're in West Michigan. He was up in Grand Rapids. There are cases of COVID up there, diagnosed cases of it up there. He thought it was a good idea to go to the doctor and see if he had this. They would not give him a test. I don't know why exactly. I don't have all of the details, but he was into the doctor's office. I guess on Monday, they refused to give him a test. He's been going to work up until recently, walking all around the plant. Well, now he's going to get tested tomorrow, apparently, and they have no idea how to handle this. They don't even know what they're dealing with, talking about the employer. It's a good-sized company. I mean, four days between the first time he went in, what else? How many other people have been infected if this is the case? Now, he may test negative. I understand that. I don't want to be too alarmist about this. But there are multiple people. I mean, there are countless numbers of people who are experiencing the same thing. They can't get a test. Why? I don't care if you're a Republican, a Democrat. I don't care if you if you hate Joe Biden or you love Bernie Sanders or you worship Donald Trump. I don't care. That is unacceptable. That for this country, for this country, this isn't Thailand. The government, somebody should be held. Somebody will be held accountable. I hope somebody is held accountable for this. It is horrendous. The only word I can think of. So what I've got here is an episode from uh, early August. I think it was episode number 38, if I remember correctly. But I went back and I looked, and the main chunk of this, which I'll get to, I think probably, I'm going to do this chronologically in the same order that I did it back in August, uh, but it concerns informational anarchy. And I think that applies beautifully right now. And it's going to apply even more as we move forward through the rest of of the spring and summertime, both with the election and, and, and with this pandemic. Informational anarchy, choosing to believe what it is you want to believe regardless of the facts and objective truth. A lot of reasons for this. I don't get into data overload in this. Maybe that's it. Maybe we don't know what to believe, so we just pick one and run with it. A lot of this, I think, has to do with that social momentum that I talked about in another episode. You know, you've got a social group and you've got a standing, you've got a reputation where you're playing a character and you have to continue playing the character on stage. And that means you cannot deviate away from the informational 
purity, the informational consistency, the theme, the consistency and theme of what it is you believe and what it is you put forth to your social group. I've seen a ton of this from really smart people. Another thing I get into in this is that intelligence does, does not insulate you from any of this crap, any of the propaganda. Your intelligence level isn't Superman's cape protecting you. I have talked about that before as well. Being attached to the social group, having to maintain that status. Jacques Ellul talked about this. I think that Jonathan Haidt has talked about it quite a bit. That once you get caught in that, and maybe you don't even realize it, but sometimes it's impossible to change course. It's impossible to change your platform. Then you're a flip-flopper. I have experienced this. I know exactly what it's like. Oh, that's a big deal. It's a big thing. And I, I think I'm seeing a lot of this. And a lot of this stems from the religious mind being too closely attached to either the ideology or the person, the scripture, the doctrine, having to remain faithful to the flock. There was something I read from H.L. Mencken. He said something down the line of that it's impossible to both be in the play and watch the play at the same time. So, in other words, in order to accurately see the situation, you can't be involved in it. You can't be participating in it. You can't be going to a demonstration. You can't be going to a march, activizing for someone. You can't be a surrogate and be able to see the objective situation accurately. You cannot be both on the stage performing in the play and in the audience watching the play, critiquing the play. At the same time, it is impossible to do. I've talked about detachment a lot. It is something I'm still struggling with a little bit. I'm working on it. I'm getting there, I think. This is something that I think in this situation, we have got to detach from our wants, our beliefs, and try desperately to end this informational anarchy plague that is complicating the pandemic. Because to be perfectly honest with you, like the kid down there in Florida, I don't care if I get corona, a lot of other people are behaving in exactly the same way. Because they've chosen to have faith in their political god, have faith in their politically religious media. A lot of people are doing that, and it's going to cost lives. I implore you, do your best at least as far as this is concerned, to detach, get your dog out of the ideological fight, at least as it applies to this thing. Now, something else we're going to get into here. I say we because there's actually going to be a couple other voices in this episode. It's not, uh, not really uh, par for the course for my show, but I've got Chris and Rich from the Unregimented Podcast. This is one of the episodes they sat in with me. And we started talking about Woodstock and how you know Woodstock was sort of you know, fly by the seat of the pants. Nothing was done in Woodstock, the very first Woodstock. They hadn't really completed anything. They didn't expect all these people to show up, but God damn it, they did. A few hundred thousand people showed up, didn't have infrastructure in place. Nothing was finished. The people banded together. There was a sense of solidarity, a sense of community, a sense of fraternity. As somebody said in the documentary that I was watching, I'll mention it in the piece, that these are my people, so they cooperated. And they pulled it off. Whereas in Woodstock 99, the opposite happened. 
Various reasons we get into that. But the thing that I want you to think about as we're talking about this is this country right now, with all the agitation, the Hitler versus Hitler stuff, the competing news media, the competing narratives, the competing pseudo-environments, we do not see each other as these are our people. And we are at the very, very, very beginning of this. It hasn't even gotten bad yet. This really terrifies me. I've been talking about the dangers of a divided country for a really long time. A country that does not see itself as a unit, that sees itself, sees the rest of its population as the in-group versus the Auslanders. The subhuman, ideologically blasphemous species over there. This is going to be the stress test for that. If the predictions for the infection rate are accurate, if the predictions for the hospitalization rate are accurate, if the time frame is accurate, this is going to be a major, major stress test for this. You remember 9-12? People like to talk about 9-12, how everybody came together. You've seen the video of people on their balcony in Italy singing Real early on, I'm terrified to think what this is going to look like if we have to be sequestered away in our homes, consuming competing media for the next three months, the next six months. Running into the echo chamber, the informational silos on the internet. Choosing what it is that we want to believe. Can I believe this? Get into that in this episode as well. This terrifies me. And not only that, (laughs) we've also got, oh God, amplification of disinformation coming from, you guessed it, Russia. Nice little report on that uh, this week. Came from the EU. Health and Human Services Department had a uh, cyber attack attempted. Right at the height of this, they wanted to slow down the response from HHS. They didn't get through. At least they said they didn't get through. But it was there. So now we've got people who are going to be isolated off in their homes under this shelter-in-place order, which is going to get worse. These things are going to get worse as the infection rates rise and the situation becomes more dire as the health care system gets put under more and more stress These public orders, they're ramping this up. We are the frogs in the pot here. They're doing this incrementally because we wouldn't just do it immediately because they said so. So all this is going to get worse. So you're going to have millions and millions and millions of people out of work, having financial difficulties because of the economic, (laughs) I don't want to call it a collapse yet, but whatever, sequestered away in their homes, Finger-fucking their phones on a daily basis inside of their informational silos. The only kind of social contact that people are going to have is going to be in their echo chambers. For how long? And that's all going to be polluted, of course, by the, the disinformation campaigns, both domestic and foreign. As we churn towards the election here in November... I didn't even think about that. Add the political advertising, the debates, the political wars that are going to be ramping up between Trump and Biden. Maybe Trump and Bernie, he doesn't have enough sense to get out of the damn race. I haven't even talked about that yet. I won't. Detach, Luke. 
It's your only hope. It's our only hope. Sit in the audience and watch the play. Engage your own mind. Use your common sense. Ask yourself, are these people throwing trillions of dollars away for a conspiracy theory? No, they're not. I have a lot more coming on this. I need to put it together. So this is what I've got for you. It's from August 8th of last year. The meat of this is going to be on informational anarchy. First, we're going to start talking about Woodstock news anxiety comes up after that. And then uh, also (laughs) something really interesting uh, that I'll get to probably in the next episode. The gatekeepers. They're coming back. You want to stay free? You want to keep your free speech? It comes with responsibility. It comes with the responsibility to at least trying as a collective unit to be tethered to the truth. Something we have completely lost. Amazing. Now, we're not sure what these hyper-intelligent beings look like, but one thing is for sure, they've never heard of Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's the, the Dostoevsky thing that people are hardwired to struggle. It's like the survival instinct thing. You know, if you don't have anything to fight for, if you, you're not fighting for survival, and one, really fighting for it. It's like, like drama queens at trailer parks. They need something. They need something to fight about or fight for or whatever. There's an element, I think, to, to a lot of us. I think to all of us, really. I mean, what are you doing with survival instincts at this point? Is it just sitting there like, <laughs> you know, uh, on Rome looking for something? It's still there. It's got to be active somehow, right? Yeah, it's just why can't we do something productive with it? Like, I don't know, try to get a deeper understanding of the human condition, maybe improve people's lives instead of just tear each other down and, and, and bicker and fight amongst each other over shit that doesn't matter. Yeah, we're going to we're gonna get that insight into human nature, whether we want it or not. I'm not convinced of that. I've been talking about that for probably a month now. But yeah, we're going to put ourselves in a position where it's just going to get so fucking bad that <laughs> we're not going to have a fucking choice at some point. I was watching this thing, you know, how the, the 50th anniversary of Woodstock's coming up. I love PBS's documentaries. They're some of the best things out there. And they have one on Woodstock. It's about an hour and a half, two hours long. They, they were half-assed. They didn't, weren't anywhere near finishing anything by the time this thing started, right? And all of a sudden, they got 200,000, 400,000 people showing up. And they didn't have fences. They didn't have infrastructure. They any way to get, like, food service or anything like that. No medical services. And all these people showed up, and you could hear it in their voice. They're talking about, these are my people. These are, like, we're all, like, pulling in the same direction. And the people in the crowd made it fucking work. You know, in, like, this spirit of cooperation, because they were all headed in the right direction. That's the struggle thing. Like, when you have, you have to pull together in order to survive. You will do it. As long as you're all pulling in the right direction or in the same direction, but as soon as, like, if you were to drop a bunch of John Birch Society people in the middle of that crowd, then they weren't pulling in the same direction, that could that would have turned into a fucking riot. Or you introduce ridiculously overpriced things like 15 yes. bottles of 8-ounce water and, and no good conditions to even take a shit or piss in. Exactly. SS-style security cracking heads and skulls instead of just, you know... We give people common enemies. Or yeah, you, and, and then wonder why off. Woodstock 99 ended in a riot. That's exactly what I was going to talk about because I got to think of it because I went to Woodstock 94 
And that was really fucking cool. I mean, it was commercialized beyond what 69 was. But there was that spirit there. Like, people just frolicking around in the mud. You didn't have to worry about security. You know, there was an element of the 69 uh, psychology there. So I got to thinking about this. I'm like, what the fuck happened in 99? And that's exactly what they said. I went looking. I didn't. I, I wouldn't claim to have done real research on it, but I read a couple of articles like Wikipedia and a couple other things. And that's exactly what they talked about, Rich, was that you couldn't take anything in. Security was ironclad. I mean, you were being searched, so you had to go buy like $6 bottles of water. And there was no other place to get bottled water or food. Basically extorted for these mm-hmm. uh, apocalyptic prices, right? And it pissed people the fuck off. It did something to their psychology. And I lived, when I lived in upstate New York, I lived 20 minutes from that former, air, from that shut down Air Force Base in Rome, New York. Yeah. Let me tell you something about that Air Force Base where they, where they, they held Woodstock 99. It is a tarmac and nothing else. Yeah. Roasting in the New York summer heat. It's like 100 degrees that weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had a couple buddies that went <clears throat> and they were like, near the end, it was something out of a horror movie. It was just like something out of a almost Mad Max without the, like, you know, the leather outfits. He's like, you know, you... Was there like, a flaming guitar? Uh, no. Well, there was flames. Let's let's <laughs> let's hold the rest of this for later. This is good. Okay. Actually, because I, I think what I'm going to... I was recording all that. I'm going to open the episode with what we just talked about. Nice job, guys. Uh, but I'm going to put together a piece, I think, tying exactly what you were talking about, Chris, with Dostoevsky and the struggle thing and that Woodstock thing. Because I think there's something there. Like, people pulling in the same direction and not having people in the middle of the fucking crowd antagonizing everybody because they're pulling in another direction. Do you guys have anything else specifically outside of, obviously, last weekend? Like I said, I've taken to heart your handful of last podcast and really started listening to both sides, mm-hmm. like the extremes, like the, the more extremes, and I'm just sitting there going, holy shit, I'm just picking out shit that you pointed out, and I'm going... You can see this shit so clearly once you fucking know what to look for. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's every yeah, had, fucking had, where. It's, it's, it was my wife. My wife decided the other... After not consuming any, she decided for one day she was going to sit and watch the news all day. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. And you know how she gets her news? YouTube. How so do you fucking cool. do that to yourself? Oh, oh. Right, let's, get let's, get, because, dude, let, yeah. let's, let's get going. Let's get going. Let's get going. We got, we got, we have plenty of material. That's good. Yeah. Escaping the cave.com. And then got Daddy Murphy in Law and at ETC Pod on Twitter. My mom says it won't last. Your mom's an alcoholic. Oh, yeah. Escaping the cave. And I'm getting really sick of guys named Todd. That's Todd, Todd Villa. Todd Villa. Todd Villa. Files. Welcome to another glorious, luxurious episode of the Escaping the Cave podcast. But I'm not needing also at escapingthecave.com. And if you dare, I don't know why you would ever check out my Twitter feed. It sucks. It's barren. All it is is me posting podcasts. But if you must, you self-abusive banshees, at ETCPod on Twitter. For now, it may just go away one day. Sooner than you think. We are joined, or I am joined, it's not we, although sometimes the voices in my head make it feel like we. It's an affliction. Joined by Chris and Rich from the internet. Hello, boys. Me again. Hello. Oh, what a week we've had. Outside, it's America. For a great few days to ignore the news. Holy shit. Did you guys... 
I posted this to my Facebook page the other day. I'm curious, since we didn't talk about this pre-show, this will be raw. Did you notice yourself Monday or Tuesday, maybe Sunday night even, just like if you were paying any attention to anything going on, information-wise, did you notice yourselves as a ball of anxiety? Not me personally, because as soon as I saw there were two shootings in uh, 24 hours, I'm like, nope. Disconnected? Nope, not doing it. Yeah, no. I know where this goes. Not doing this. There's an episode with my wife we can talk about. She is somebody who, who does not consume the news uh-huh. and decided all day Monday while I'm at work, I want to watch the news. And it's all YouTube clips. It's interesting you bring up YouTube because there was a story on NPR last week about the left side of YouTube, which they call BreadTube for some reason. That is uh, all progressive people, influencers, talking heads, et cetera, et cetera. And they attack basically any media to the right of or center of them, or in the center and to the right, I should say, because they focus on logic, reason, and facts. That's their perspective that they only focus on logic, reason, and facts, and everybody else is full of shit? No, they're attacking the news who do focus on logic, reason, and facts. They said that they explicitly? Focus. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Neat. You couldn't make this up and sell it. They go on ideology, feelings, stuff like that. I want to gag myself. <laughs> yeah. So if if I dipped my toe into the water, and then as I felt my eyes pushing out of my skull because my blood pressure was going to fucking yeah. <laughs> stroke out, I was like, uh, I can't do this anymore. And even the most, I would say the most sane person I ran into still had some really batshit crazy bullshit coming out of her mouth. But she was very well educated so she could deliver it a lot better than the average person on that format. So she was hiding a lot of the batshit crazy, but if you know what to look for, yeah. if you've been listening to Todd's show, and you should be. you can spot uh <laughs> you can spot the bullshit a mile away. <laughs> I, before before she was even finished saying a sentence sometimes I was like I can I paused it, and in, in my head, I was like, I can finish the sentence for her. And I'm going to say probably seven out of ten times, with very little paraphrasing, I was spot on to what she was about to say. Oh, you don't need to quote it. It says, I, I said in the last episode, that basically what you're dealing here with is a log of shit sitting on your table, and you're picking away the feces to get it either a cashew or maybe an almond in the middle. doesn't matter. It's still a fucking peanut. It's still the same fucking thing, wrapped in various kinds of shit. You can tell, man. I've noticed this for 10 years. At least 10 years that if you're dealing with one of these fabricants, as I call them, or these sectarians, you always know where it's going. It doesn't matter how ostentatiously. That's kind of what you're talking about here. If you've got somebody who's really articulate and really highly educated, it means they have more tools to work with to disguise the bullshit. It doesn't matter. The kernel, the, the core of it is always, almost always the same. And once you see that, once you understand it, you can kind of just shut the fuck off. Okay, deal, I know what I'm dealing with here. I know where this is going. And, you know, be polite and pay attention. But you always make the notation in your head. Yep, <laughs> that was it. It's really hard for me to have conversations, even normal conversations now. With I had an exchange on my, on my Facebook page a couple of weeks ago. You guys saw it about with the, the chick who was talking about repar, uh, reparations, white privilege, and all that shit. 
And it's just the same standard bullshit. She's coming from a good place. She's a smart girl. She's trying to do the right thing. But you know where it's going. You can see that shit everywhere. It's deafening. I don't consume many things. And if I do, they're, they're all packaged to be consumed as entertainment. I can't do that. It's like watching somebody inject a child with battery acid. That's how I don't even pay attention. That's what I'm saying for me. I don't yeah. just, there's just a lot of things I don't consume. There's just days I know, like, let's, let's not open up the news. And you're, today. you're not let's any, not. you're not any further behind. And then somebody who sits on their couch watching YouTube clips for nine hours a day, you are probably more informed than these people because they're misinformed. You're not missing anything. You know exactly where it's going. I mean, 10 years ago, I might have criticized you for that, Chris. Well, don't you want to know what's going on? Don't you want to be informed with the current events? <laughs> I would have done that, and I apologize. Hello, what's going on? Information's <laughs> filtering to me. Yeah, you can't stop it. Yeah, good luck stopping, like, just completely isolating yourself off from the torrent. Something's going to seep through anyway. But, yeah, you you're, you know exactly what's You're not any less informed. You're just less informed on the bullshit of the week. As far as the topicality goes, we've had gun control conversations over, and have you noticed anything different about this one? Nope. You know what's interesting is all of the things that they said about the last 20 years, they didn't say the obvious one. Internet. That's exactly, I was just waiting for someone to stop talking so I could bring that up. It's all the shit it's, it's tapping into us that, <laughs> that Todd brings up all the time. All, all of, the, all of the, the shit it's stirring up in our brains. There's a, I have an idea in my head after doing all this Actually, it really is research at this point, I guess, and, and looking into this and thinking about it. There is a really huge part of this. I've been talking a lot about Jacques Ellul and that book, Propaganda, right? Massive connection between that book and the Jonathan Haidt book, The Righteous Mind. The post hoc rationalization elephant thing that I've been talking about. What I found last week was this section toward the back, because I'm just kind of picking through it because I'm obsessed with this other stuff. But there's a section further back in the book that I hadn't seen yet, that there's a distinction when people talk about how people are liars, Inherently, okay, and people also have this thing in their in their being where they will find reasons to believe what they want to believe, right? This is how we're exploited and manipulated, all that shit. But he made a really cool point uh, to point out the distinction between the psychology of "Can I believe this?" in quotes. Can I believe this? Is this something I can believe? That's the attitude and the mentality of somebody who wants to be convinced of something. And they'll go search out any information that supports it. As soon as they find one piece of information that supports it, they are sold. They are a true believer, right? Now, it sounds like an extreme case. We all do this in some way. The flip side of this is when somebody's trying to convince you of something and you don't want to be convinced and you ask yourself, do I really have to believe this? And you're going to find anything, anything at all, any nugget or kernel of information that will discredit it because you want it discredited. If we sat here for 10 minutes, we could all make a list of probably 100 people and 100 examples of both of these. But I think that's how you get from A to B. This guy, this, this shooter kid, whatever the fuck you want to call him, this little beast, wanted to believe this stuff. He felt, for whatever reason, I'm not going to try to psychoanalyze him, on a podcast, but for whatever reason he needed or wanted desperately to believe this, he went out online in this unregulated 
state of informational anarchy in which we live, the smorgasbord of happy facts and agreeable information where we can find anything, anything at fucking all to support what we want to believe or discredit what we don't want to believe. There is no tethering to objective truth. None of us give a fuck. Most of us don't give a fuck about objective truth. We just want our truth, that relativism, something that's going to support what we believe or something that discredits something we don't want to believe. And then you factor in both of these camps, both sides of the culture war, or the multiple fronts on this culture war, making each other hate each other. You're not going to listen to anything anybody has to say. And all of a sudden, all you have to do if you're this this little beast is find one piece of fucking conspiratorial information that's well-written, well-articulated. It's going to you know give you the, the pathway. Yes, I believe this now. It's an epidemic. Yeah, and I, I don't know if you really want to go down this road. I, and so if you don't, I'll just let this statement stand on its own. I'm not really sure how to control it, for lack of a better <laughs> You can't. I mean, you can't, you, you know, once you kick the hornet's nest, you don't have, you can't put the hornets back in there peacefully. So winter is here. Even if you can't control it, you had better be prepared for it. Is it going to affect all of us at some point? The only real control here, the only real control that could be exerted. And this has its own stickiness to it is to reimplant the gatekeepers at the front, uh, at the front gate. You have to regulate things. You have to regulate the internet. You cannot. We are unworthy. Unfucking worthy. I don't give a fuck about your free speech. I don't give a fuck about your freedom. I don't give a fuck about any of that in this context. We are unworthy of informational anarchy. Our brains are flawed. Now, this technology arrived way too soon. You're not going to take my freedom away. I'll say that, but I'll give you the finger. You try to take it away from me. I admit that contradiction, <laughs> but it, you can't, hmm. we're not ready for this. There is no way around this. You can't look at this objectively. You can't look at this even semi-objectively and avoid that fact. If you stick your head in the sand and you want to talk about video games, you want to talk about all this other, this rhetorical fuckery that we're deluged and drowning in every fucking day, that's fine. You can do that. You're permitted to do that. But you are going to be a victim of this just like everyone else. And you're going to be culpable when the final history of this shit is written. We are highly flawed. When it comes to being able to see the truth, see reality for what it is, we are far more interested in seeing what we choose to believe. And that, going back to the theme of my podcast for the last fucking month, is the mechanism by which propaganda snares you, keeps you, gets you addicted to it, and turns you into an agenda-driven proselyte slash militant. We can sculpt our own reality now, right? With, with the access to all of this information. Exactly. And who's going to challenge it? We can build our own matrix. We have. So cool. I, yeah, cool. <laughs> I've, been, <laughs> I, I've, been, I've been having this thought for the last couple of weeks that I, I kind of view the internet, social media, the exchange of ideas on it as almost like a modern-day Tower of Babel. After the flood, the people got together and started building a tower up into the heavens and they all spoke the same language. They shared the same knowledge, et cetera, et cetera. God saw it, wasn't exactly thrilled with it because, hey, 
they're starting to be smarter than I want them to be. So he basically made them so they spoke different languages. They couldn't communicate with each other and scattered them all across the world. Take the scattering across the world and making them speak different languages out of it. And it's like, basically, I, the, way I, the way I've always taken it, it's a parable about getting too much power too quick when you're not ready to deal with the, the fallout from having all that power and knowledge. And I think that this is what we're seeing a lot of with social media. You have people who, the minute they hear something they agree with, they just go down that rabbit hole and they never bother to take a look around anyplace else. And when people are that single-minded about something, it's very easy to get them ensnared in your world of bullshit. And I think that's what happens with a lot of people. <laughs> when was the printing press invented? Since then, we've spent literally centuries perfecting you know, little bite-sized nuggets and terms to feed people for them to regurgitate. And now we can spread it instantaneously and we can tailor it to the people we're trying to ensnare with our bullshit. Exactly. You know, as you pointed out, kids in cages. Uh, no one needs an assault weapon. You Con know, concentration camps at the border. Which, by the way, I did see something. <laughs> uh, the notorious AOC, I guess, posted a tweet saying, why would anyone need an assault weapon? And someone responded, bitch, wasn't it you just said that the government's building concentration camps a few weeks ago? <laughs> and I about pissed myself. <laughs> <laughs> See, there are some good things about the internet. <laughs> I've seen some of the funniest things in the world on the internet, I swear to God. And this isn't in the book. This is my own extrapolation of this, is that I think the smarter you are, if you have a high intellect or you can articulate something, you can bullshit yourself, oh, all that much better. Because you're smart, you can create more absurd or more creative or more um, elaborate mental fuckery. I don't think that that's it definitely is not you know, some magic underwear that you can wear around to protect yourself from propaganda and mis disinformation or misinformation, however you want to look at it, however you want to term it, that does not protect you from this. Still make the emotive judgments, the emotive conclusions the same as everyone else. It's a human thing, not an education. always wins. Absolutely. your website, Chris. How's that website doing? Uh, it's going well. Traffic is up. I have, I have a feeling it might have something to do with this show. Escapingthecave.com. If you only knew the things he's making me say, stop bitching about the NRA and mercifully liberate me from this evil bastard of a man.